podcast that actually was already wearing a mask in public. Yeah. It's not a physical one. Before it was cool. I'm Paul Wayne. I'm Paul Paul of the Films, 2021. 2020. Paul of the Film, Paul of the Dance. That's what I like Aww. to call him. Paul is analogous to Lord as a word. <laughs> it means much the same. Uh, this week we are covering 2020. Yes, yes 2020. A new frontrunner for the shittest year of the 21st century competition. Take that, 2016. My Probably best year of my life. <laughs> probably best year of all our lives. First year of our life, I like to think of it as. Or at least yeah. that's how we will be calling it when we're in Zack Snyder's Nightmare in six weeks. Oh shit, this is different. This is a, this is a, a real, very real promise. Not, not <laughs> a disappointing epilogue. <laughs> shit, he was epiloguing actual life. Oh no. Well, That's what he was foreboding this whole time. Yeah, he knew something. And Ben Affleck refuses to take the costume off. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Ben Affleck re- refuses to take responsibility, which <laughs> he should, ladies and gentlemen. He should, and that, that is the source of the hit documentary that appears on number one of both of our lists <laughs> in the year 2030. He really bloody should. He really bloody should. Come on, Ben Affleck. It's about time. Now, in spite of the overwhelming awfulness of nearly everything, some absolutely fantastic films got released to homes and phones all over the world by Warner Brothers. <laughs> I'd say so. Thanks, Warner Brothers. <laughs> Thanks, Warner Brothers. And as such, your dutiful, beautiful Pauls have compiled a list of their absolute faves. Oh, we have. Justice League, 30 to 11. <laughs> and then some real ones. Oh, I ranked the theatrical Justice League and, and also the Zack Snyder <laughs> Justice League both within this list because both felt like they happened in 2020. Yeah, to an extent, a lot of things felt like they happened only in 2020. <laughs> it was a unique year and one that we can all celebrate yeah. here on this podcast. Now... We have bent our rules slightly this year, um, including in this list, also sexually. Um, yeah. We've got some films on our 2020 lists that which by any other real metric would be considered 2019, but which only had their prominent releases in 2020. But shut up. <laughs> so shut up, Jesus. Hey, if the Academy want to nominate the very definitely 2021 film Judas and the Black Messiah in their 2020 ceremony, then I guess all the rules are off. Yeah. Then, then they can. That's absolutely fine if That's they want to ruin everything. But so Nothing means anything now, says the Academy. You won't find that film on our lists, though. That film's going to go where it belongs. My favourite movies of, ne- of this year. Yeah. So you got that? Yeah. How's that spreadsheet looking? I've got. I've currently got one thing on it. I have four things on it. So Fuck yeah. We're gonna. We're gonna need some more. Is <laughs> the. Uh, is the issue well, for next year's list? Do you know what, Paul? I've heard a good few. A few good things. We've got some films coming out this year. <laughs> We've got a Godzilla movie and a King Kong movie. Yeah. I have heard some troubling rumors that there might only be one movie, but I'm I'm optimistic that it'll fill out. We could probably count it twice though, right? In Pro- our lists. Probably. Look, don't listen to anything Scorsese so. has to say on it, even if it's true. <laughs> he says it's only half a movie. <laughs> Eight movie maths. He says he's Godzilla, and I'm willing to believe <laughs> it's it. God- it's Godzilla, fuck King Kong. Hashtag Kong Life. Tweeted Martin Scorsese. <laughs> oh god. Also, We've included some documentaries. Now, yeah. we have done this before, but normally we don't tend to. Not really for any particular reason. Uh, mm. Frankly, as far as I'm concerned, it just cuts off four or five of the must-see films of, of each um, year that we do. Frankly, as far as I'm um, concerned, they're not real films. <laughs> frankly, as far as I'm concerned, they can, go, they can go do a documentary about how much they should fuck themselves. <laughs> but there was no real reason not to include them because they are still narratives bound and yeah. defined by the limitations and opportunities of cinema, very much like us. They're bloody good. Um I had, I think I had one, definitely one yeah. in last year's, but... um, I think I had a half one. I had American Animals, which is oh, yeah, half yeah. a documentary. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
a few years ago. So yeah, there's there's no reason not to. It's just if you add on the the five or six you know absolutely essential documentaries that have to be watched every year to our list of films to catch up on, it just oh yeah, it just wears you. You down. can't let it get on top of you. You just have to close <laughs> fingers and ears. La la la. I say if we if we let documentaries in, we should slough off something else. I'm gonna say no more Catherine Waterston movies. I should. I'm no more of that. I'm so. w- I'm willing to take that chance and uh, maybe no more foreign <laughs> movies. Oh yeah, that'd be way easier, dude. Yeah, let's do that. I could, I have five films to watch. You know what? <laughs> yes, foreign to us. You only watch Australian. I only watch British films, and then we compare this time next year as to who's more unhappy. <laughs> Numbers 30 through 1, The Dry. <laughs> Numbers 30 through 12, uh, movies about Australian bikers. <laughs> yeah, England took a t- weird turn. <laughs> and then Baby Teeth, and then that's it. Yeah. Meanwhile, here in England... Oh. Whoops. Ke- Ken Loach is back. Legitimately trying to figure fun. Oh, Ken Loach is back. Yay. <laughs> Turns out the working poor still have it rough. Good to know. <laughs> Thanks, Ken Loach. That's a surprise. <laughs> I didn't think that when I ordered things on Amazon, it came at any sort of cost. <laughs> oh. Why don't, I, why don't I have a high street anymore? Blame the cost. <laughs> why, why do all these delivery drivers look so smelly and tired? If only Ken Loach were here. Anyway, usual rules regarding duplicate entries. The person who ranked it higher is going to talk about it first. Fuck so yeah. let's get bloody well into it. Yeah. Paul, do you want to go first? Yes. All right. All right. All right. I'm going to go. All right. Okay. Fucking go, go. All right. My number 10 is... It's deferred. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Well, that's good. We can keep keep all that in. I didn't do that on purpose. It's some shitty power move. <laughs> What's your number 10, Paul? Friend. Go on, great friend. Why don't you tell everyone at home the thing that you love? <laughs> Oops. Whoops. Ah, oh, fuck. We both put Possessor at number 10. Brandon Cronenberg's Possessor. Yeah. Because uh, it's great. And I'm going to talk about it first on this instance. You have a very special nature. One we've worked hard together to unlock. Yeah, an incredibly inventive and mesmerizing psychological um, sci-fi horror film. Uh, The plot concerns a woman who works for a shady organization who has mastered the technology to put her into somebody else's body, Mm. into their mind, her mind in their body, Uh, at which point she goes and violently kills some people and then kills kills herself in order to get out, or at least is supposed to. Yes. Yeah, so it's a sort of corporate espionage thing. Brandon Cronenberg is borrowing some themes from his father, sort of man and machine, body horror, and issues around identity, and particularly some... Raised him right. (laughs) Raised him right. Got all that right fear into him. He's Canadian as well, so, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, Particularly the idea of society's intrusion into individual personality is a big thing that his dad used to work on a lot, and here it is. Um, But it has an entirely fresh and absolutely brutal energy and aesthetic just right from the brilliant opening sequence which immediately gets you on board with the premise yep to the shocking ending that really nails home the theme of corporate life consuming um individual humanity yep uh it's just brilliant andrea riceborough and christopher abbott are fantastic they're great at sharing a head yeah (laughs) um andrea riceborough in particular is like a wet book just falling apart shriveling inwards and seemingly transparent as she wanders around the place horrifying utterly horrifying Just those eyes, those eyes that gaze into your soul. It's just incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just thrilling from beginning to end. It's incredibly inventive. You just wonder what's going to happen next with the whole thing. 
um, Tuppence Middleton and Sean Bean in it as well. Both um, Tuppence Middleton's performance as Sean Bean is fantastic. She's she's really pulling out all the stops um, <laughs> in 2020, and I just wanted to thank her for that. <laughs> the, yeah, and 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 just the sort of shocking, saturated violence yeah. around them that's played out for it's 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 pure sort of voyeuristic titillation but at the same time you've got this horrible message of um yeah um desolation of the soul yeah absolutely it's it's a full inexorable slide um full of haunting performances and just just completely revels in 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 the bloody and the yeah it's um, got that playful sense of the mischievous to it as well yeah um the best scene i would say is the sequence where andrea riceborough sort of enters colin so to speak uh, the initiation <laughs> stage, which is just so playful and weird and completely yeah. unique. You've you've not seen something quite like it, and it's great. I'm entering you now, Colin. <laughs> um, for, for me, it was the, the war of the psyches between the two of them. Um, oh, yeah. It has oh, a shit. really, really, really memorable <laughs> practical effect in it. Yeah, the, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a fantastic sequence. Sometimes that small thought is all it takes lose control so my number nine is i'm thinking of ending things charlie kaufman's uh straight to netflix because of the pandemic thing i guess we have a real connection a rare and intense attachment i've never experienced anything like it i'm thinking of ending things huh what did you say something i don't think so weird a surprisingly well-observed awkward uh relationship movie from charlie kaufman jesse plemons and jesse buckley are this um this couple driving to their parents uh the parents of jesse buckley played by david thewlis and tony collette um and who are the ultimate supporting players by the way um and time narrative chronology sort of folds in on itself and these conflicting stories sort of just merge on top of one they merge into one another um, mm-hmm. So you've got a re- really jarring movie. David Thewlis and Tony Collette just jumping back and forward in time on the cusp of dementia and just pure tragedy, and then being young and energetic again. Jesse Buckley is trying to navigate this situation. Ult- ultimately, it's about reconciling past relationships and and so on mm-hmm. and so forth. I don't want to go into it too much more than that because it's mm-hmm. really you know the joy of trying to figure that out for yourself yeah. but it's it's just wonderfully glumly realistic cannot emphasize how great the performances are from these four people if you're looking for something surprising and and you know charlie something charlie kaufman-esque it doesn't disappoint it's very charlie kaufman-esque i found i i yeah, inc- incredibly extraordinarily yeah i i found the film very confronting in fact i saw i saw mark Kermo dismiss it actually as a um what did he call it something about a sort of misunderstood genius but i found it to be quite the opposite you know, I thought yeah. it was a movie about a guy who just wasted his um, all of his potential in his life in, in, yeah. by living inside of his head. And as he's getting older, it's just sort of crumbling around him. And that's... It's accepting the mediocrity yeah. that you find yourself in at that age. Absolutely. And it just I found that very frightening <laughs> more than anything yeah. else, you know. So, yeah, I really loved that. Hard to pick a favourite scene for I'm Thinking mm. of Ending Things because sure. of, of the way everything sort of folds together. Um, yeah. But the, the final sequence... Um, oh. with Jesse Jesse Plemons, the, the various yeah. versions, the the couple yeah. of versions of him, uh, <laughs> just wonderful, just every, everything I wanted coming to yeah. coming to a head there. Yeah, absolutely. My cold wind. 
Maybe this is how it was always going to end. Good stuff. Okay, well, my number nine is never rarely, always, sometimes. Which I shouldn't say as if that was two no. phrases. It's four mm. individual words. Never rarely, sometimes, always. That's the one. It, Fuck yep. me, I wrote it wrong in my description. <laughs> this is the most magical sound you will ever hear. I'm just not ready to be a mom. Where else could you go? Nowhere in Pennsylvania. I think you should try another place. Okay, this this dumb titled movie is a beautiful slow drama from Eliza Hitman. Yeah. Um, which is yeah about a girl who finds herself pregnant via um unfortunate means, shall we say? She's a teenager and she wants to get an abortion. And after being disappo- disappointed by her sort of small town mentality that surrounds mm-hmm. her she journeys to the big city in order to procure said abortion traveling yeah. with her cousin so yeah, yeah it's, it's very much on the surface a movie about control over your um your own body and specifically its main character's body yeah. and her engagement with the processes that are there and the attitudes that she faces as a result is very you know captivating and you know sometimes very upsetting other, other times really endearing and hopeful as well once she mm. you know gets away from the small town because fuck, yeah. fuck small towns is the ultimate message of this movie. Yeah. Um, it's very clear that this is a power that is very reluctantly handed out by a society that does nothing to protect these women from the real danger they are facing at home and on the streets. Yeah. That's that's where they're completely ignored out there, but it's when suddenly they want to make an independent choice over their bodies that everyone's like, Whoa, you okay? We need to chit we need to make sure this is going on in the right kind of way. Yeah. Um Speaking of which, just the attention of men is ever present oh, throughout the God. film, and it's just really distressing and um, yeah. um, frightening. Um, and just the this fantastically realized impression of being tired on busy streets. I have no yeah. way of relating to the dangers that these women faced in their journey, but I could really relate to just the sheer exhaustion that they exhibited. But it's a film about friendship and humor and these two people who are really close and they're at their closest when they're not actually talking. It's um, Sidney Flanagan as Autumn and Talia Ryder as Skylar. Just um, great together. They're so good together and they just convey so much with so little words. Um, yeah, it's fantastic. It's just a really brilliant film. My, I think the best scene, hard to identify, but I'd say it was the, um, the interview in which gives the film its title. I think that's a really provocative and moving sequence. Uh, great soundtrack from Julia Holter as well. Ooh, very good. Mm. Excellent. Yeah, I had a fantastic soundtrack. I'm going to ask you some questions. They can be really personal. Just answer either never, rarely, sometimes, or always. My number eight is a bloody documentary directed by Benjamin Reed. Ugh. Um, I know, I know. I, I hate me too, but stick with it. It gets better. <laughs> you heard it here first. Goodman hates me too. <laughs> not, not hashtag me too, though. That, which I really hate, cunts. Um, <laughs> number eight, The Painter and the Thief. When I close the door, I start to paint. That's my universe. Two paintings were stolen from a gallery in Norway today. The paintings were stolen in broad daylight. I don't know what to think. his name from the court papers Hello? you might know who i am i'm just a curious person what made you do it it was your masterpiece benjamin redirects it's a painter connects with the thief of one of her paintings and friendship ensues mm. 
yeah. as, as she... An adventure. Yeah, not really adventure. Friendship, a rollicking adventure movie without any adventure, <laughs> um, uniquely. Um, Starring Brendan Fraser. She she tries to, yeah, trying to get to know him a little better. She ends up painting mm. him and yeah. drawing the beauty out of someone who's never had the chance to be seen as such. Um, mm. it, it's the beginning of a transformation for him. And it's a difficult, rocky uh, road to recovery. Um, mm. Not just for the thief, but the the painter herself, who has her own set of problems to be dealing with. It's a really, it's a delicate and precarious film at times. Um, the the relationship between the two of them, their their own individual you know, grip on their well being, mm. it also raises interesting questions of authenticity when documentaries are this intimate. Um, yeah. you wonder how much of it is put on for camera. But I think mm. the method of telling a lie to tell the truth rings truest here. Um, it's mm. it's incredibly sensitive and well-meaning piece. Favorite scene would just be the reveal of the painting. She, it's been building it for a little while. Yeah. Her painting of this guy who is completely au fait with the fact that he's a criminal breaks down in, into tears and has no means of processing this kind of experience. Just no no experience with this kind of emotional yeah. com- emotional confrontation. And it's just utterly devastating. It's like seeing a man just suddenly being aware that he is being watched by immortality. Yeah. You know, he's just awe-stricken by that moment, and it's incredible. Um, yeah, I really loved that film, too. It was a big surprise of the, fil- of the London Film Festival this year. And um, I love the way it doesn't shy away from potentially the painter's faults as well. You know, is she yeah. exploiting this guy? Is there yeah. something sinister about her relationship with him? And yeah, you know, well, her she own faults. And... So yeah, exactly. It's it's yeah yeah. How does that pertain to her past? You know, it's it's very it's a very interesting exploration of these two people, and in spite of their vastly different worlds, how they relate to each other. Yeah. You must know where it is. Do you understand the risk? Don't even try it. Just tell me. Don't even try it. I'm serious. This is destructive. My number eight is Supernova. Mm. All right. If you had one wish in the world, what would it be? I wish this holiday wouldn't end. So can you tell that it's gotten worse? Harry McQueen's tender portrait of a shared life approaching its end. Exactly. Yeah. It's um, about two men to... Oh, are they married? I think they're married. I think so. Yeah, Colin Firth and uh, Stanley Tucci. Yeah. Uh, in real life, weirdly. They were very <laughs> method. Lived together for 40 years. It really was. Um, yeah. They are just... Um, basically, uh, Stanley Tucci's character has been diagnosed with dementia, I believe. Yeah. And so is going to not only start forgetting things, but as he puts it, start forgetting who is doing the forgetting. And it's just yeah. like a farewell tour of family and friends, a journey through the Lake, uh, lake District. Mm. And yeah, just a chance for them to sort of reflect on their lives together. So it's very moving. It's um, gorgeous filming of the Lake District, um, yeah. invoking the sublime, you know, how overwhelmed these two small mm. characters are by the infinity around them. And they spend a lot of time looking at the stars and contemplating the cosmos as well. Um, it's not so much about mental health, because I know that based on the ending, there would be some people who are going to make arguments about the implications on mental health, but it's not really about that. It's about the idea of accepting decline and death, and specifically yeah. the death of loved ones. Um, Tucci and Firth are amazing together. They really do manage to evoke a full life lived between them through the intimacy yeah. and naturalness of their gestures towards each other. Yeah, I don't know. Stories about growing old and dying, particularly in the context of dementia, have 
hit me a little harder this year, possibly due to my father yeah. dying in November after struggling yeah. with mental health issues for over a decade. Um, yeah. But only possibly. I've also been eating more sugar lately. So, it's ups and know. downs. It's ups and downs. Yeah. I've not done a study or anything. But ultimately, <laughs> this film sees our two leads strive for an understanding and a catharsis whilst they're still together that we rarely get a chance to see in real life. Yeah. Best scene? I absolutely love the scene where Stanley Tucci is stargazing with a young girl. Um, he near the end of his journey, her at the start of hers, um, talking about something that she doesn't really get or care about is just yeah. lovely. But the moment that keeps coming back to me is one of just pure melodrama, but it's it's very powerful. It's um, Stanley Tucci has made a decision and has made a recording based on that decision. And Colin First character finds it and in one scene confronts him with it. Um, oh, and just that yeah. moment of watching Jesus characters Christ. suddenly see like the end of the world happen is just—it's amazing. And it, I yeah. think about that moment frequently. It's really powerful. Yeah, it's a very physical scene as well. Yeah, um, really confronting way to confront someone. Yeah, um, <laughs> yes. I mean, Stanley Tucci and Colin Firth are just incredible together. Yeah. Just oh, such yeah. a beautiful couple. The way Colin Firth like argues his point when they're discussing yeah. the end of Stanley Tucci's life, like trapped, you know, like a yeah. cage caged oh, lion basically just lashing out and uh, yeah it's it's yeah heartbreaking terrifying really year of movies this year fuck 2020 2020 year of movies jesus christ you know a very wise man once said we will not starve for lack of wonders but from lack of wonder all right mate what's your number seven oh, speaking of terrifying uh, Mads Mikkelsen is oh, no. in the, I know in the Thomas Vinterberg movie Another Round reprising or, his role uh, as Le Chiffre Drock. yeah <laughs> Le, Le Chiffre the cannibal psykologiske og psykoretoriske følgevirkninger samt undersøgelse af forøget social og faglig ydeevne det er kun i arbejdstiden vi drikker men det er jo ligesom Hemingway vi drikker ikke efter 8 og ikke i weekenden it's a Danish movie Four yeah. men decide to maintain a higher blood alcohol level to see if it will improve their lives. Um, hmm. uh, yeah, based on a, I, I don't know if it is a real uh, sociological hmm. uh, argument. Uh, I'm sure philosophers have made it time and time again. It does concur with my two to three beer window theory where uh, gaming and socializing is involved. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's um, it's a film that is at the same time full of sadness and tragedy, but also a lot of joy for me and i know that we uh differed on this a little bit um mm. probably based on our own experience with drinking but um yeah. it's essentially they start drinking and they start finding that they are more confident in their teaching they're all teachers um mm. and they're getting better results that makes them more able to communicate with their students which you know obviously says something about how shut off and uh you know the problems they were going through in the first place um but more than anything it's this acceptance of of failures and um again potential m- mediocrity there hey my top 10 um <laughs> in all of that i found it strangely life affirming um and maybe that says something about me but it's definitely a film with its ups and downs with its tragedies but it, that is just life and um there is a triumphant defiant note I think come the end. Mm. Very, very surprising how that hit me. Yeah. Uh, favorite scene would just be mm. 
the, the, the final scene, I think, where I get a little little treat from Mads Mikkelsen, yeah. uh, trained train dancer. <laughs> that um, was an incredible sequence. Yeah, move, yeah, moves like that Mulan song. <laughs> Absolutely. We did we differed a little in it, and um, it may be experienced, but I thought it was going a certain direction um, in which it would move away from the premise of, you know, all human beings are actually just deficient of a certain amount of alcohol towards something mm. else about unfulfillment and uh, yeah. investment. But... Um, yeah, you can read more about that in my Screen Mayhem review um, of, yeah, another round. Or Druk. Yes. Um, druk. Yeah, I've heard the, the lack of a point rubs people up the the wrong way as well from reviews that I've read. But um, I don't think it was a lack of a point. I just felt it, I thought it was heading towards yeah. a different point. Yeah, fair. Mm-hmm. Alrighty then. Well, it's time for me to do one. Seven, deferred, oh. you do one. What's your six? Oh, no, okay, my number six is, uh, oh, deferred, right? Oh, is it? <laughs> promising young woman? Yep. No, I deferred that to you. Oh, oh shit. Neither of us prepared oh. for promising young woman. <laughs> Every week, I go to a club. I act like I'm too drunk to stand. <laughs> And every week, a nice guy comes over to see if I'm okay. You okay? You are so pretty. I am a nice guy. Are you? I, we've said all we've needed to say in the Patreon review. So oh, true. Patreon, but um, <laughs> to to Pracey, uh, pr- mm. uh, it's an it's an angry sort of post, angry empowering triumphant post mm. Me Too movie, as far as mm. I'm concerned. Carrie Mulligan, yeah. um. In what I would say is a career best, but mm. how can you tell? Often, yeah. with Carrie Mulligan, <laughs> she plays a woman who goes who goes to bars and pretends to be drunk or drunker than she actually is, um, in yeah. order to get guys who offer to give her rides home, who style mm. themselves as nice guys, and then confronts them when they invariably make a move on her, um, effectively rape her because she is drunk. Yeah, can't give consent. She snaps out of her torpor confronts them yeah the 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 incredible what are you doing yeah yeah um, will stick with me forever because it's just such a fucking power move um and and then has them squirm over this idea that they're a nice guy when they're being confronted with the fact that they're about to rape Carrie Mulligan yeah that confrontation is really significant because I have seen I saw I've been reading up on various criticisms because there have been discussion there has been discussion around this movie and its credentials. Yeah. But uh, one thing they saw was that how does she keep emerging unscathed? You know, when isolated alone with these men, you know. And, and I thought what was really interesting is the idea that the people she targets are cowards. You know, they deliberately yeah. prey upon you know very weakened people, yeah. and even just being confronted with another rash with a a second rational mind yes. in the room yeah. is enough to completely crumble their um bravado and their um their ego and just completely shock them into submission yeah um was the thing i liked best about that yeah no, i i think that's exactly it they're not they're not violent maniacs well that's the horrible thing about and, them. and not all, and not all rapists are exactly it, it's just about yeah the, the the lies people say in order to feel okay with being what they are and it's you know yeah, as disgusting as that is, that as that is exposed to be. Yeah, um, anything more than that, it's a brilliant ensemble cameo cast. Yeah, um, and yeah, just a really great movie from Emerald Fennel. Absolutely, uh, my favorite scene. It's mm. it's hard to get around the the lead into the final act with the amazing reworking of Toxic. Yeah, that was great. Um, it just gave me this 
giddy anticipation of, of what was to come. Yeah. Either that or the, the confronting of any one of the, yeah, the surprising cameos. Confronting Christopher Mintz Plass was my probably my favorite scene. That was um, brilliant. That was a really good sequence. It's every guy's worst nightmare getting accused like that. Can you guess what every woman's worst nightmare is? I wanted to be a doctor my whole life. Lately, I've been feeling like I might want to get back into it. Where are we? My number six. <laughs> I think so, yeah. That was your number six. That was my number that six. That was your number six. My number six. The father. Oh, fuck me. <laughs> Oof. Date of birth? Friday, 31st of December, 1937. You're living with your daughter at the moment? Yes, until she goes to live in Paris. No, Dad, why do you keep going on about Paris? You told me. No, I didn't. I'm sorry, Anne, you told me the other day. Have you forgotten? She's forgotten. <laughs> Paris. They don't even speak English there. Uh, 2020. I wasn't ready for this. It's um, no. a very difficult movie that is not being sold correctly out there. I think it's being sold as a sort of Oscar Beatty style, you know, friendship between Olivia Coleman and her dad kind of movie. And yeah. rather than incredibly daring adaptation of a play. Well, it's exploring the experience of dementia and um, what that will do to your ability to live your life and connect with other people. It's Anthony Hopkins. He's living in yeah. his. Well, is he? He's living in a apartment. Um yeah. And he is starts the movie by having a very frank conversation with his daughter about not wanting to go into a mental health facility. She wants out, basically, to live her life. Yeah. And from there, it becomes very difficult to follow. It moves all over the place as the plot tries to recreate his experience of confusion and disorientation. Yeah. It's in like a the way dimensions recalls... of dementia. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And in a way that recalls the the way that the narrative device recreates the mental health issue of Memento. Yeah. Um, yeah, experimental style, which makes it feel cinematic and way yes. more than just a stage adaptation. Because exactly. we had a lot of stage adaptations this year. They they lend themselves, I think, to the lockdown, having been pre-written existing material, yeah. small locations, small casts. You know, there's a yeah. lot to be said for making uh, plays into movies during the lockdown. Uh, it plays with your sense of time and place and faces in order to disorientate uh, you with yeah. characters assuming different roles very much uh, like persona um, yes. at the heart of it you've got Hopkins and Coleman who are amazing Hopkins is charming insufferable and shockingly vulnerable in places yeah. and ultimately I really love the idea that kind of what's at the heart of it is this idea that if you let go of conventional connections to identity of yourself and those around you if you let go of your sense of self without fear you will never actually, no matter what happens to you, lose your ability to connect to another human being on a very basic level, even yeah. if you don't know who they are or even who you are. And that's a very confronting and frightening um, idea, but also one that has some catharsis in there. So, yeah, the um, best scene is obviously the ending, which has it's, it's absolutely devastating, yeah. um, but does have that kind of sad sense of catharsis Agreed. to it. Um, yeah, just totally cinematic adaptation of a play is exactly what yeah. I need. Uh, and exactly what I complain about when watching most other adaptations. Yeah. Yeah, there's nothing worse than a film that still feels like a play. Yeah. There's something funny going on. Well, a film that definitely doesn't feel like a play is my number five, Collective, another mm. documentary. Uh, <laughs> Romanian this time. Can it get any worse? What? Um, they haven't got cameras. They haven't got cameras or stories to tell, except for this one. Was that a joke at the expense of the Romanians or some sort of commentary on Western perceptions of Eastern Europe? Um, whichever one gets me off. Yeah. <laughs> the hook, Thanks. that is. Thanks. not Thanks. Well, both. Yeah. Both. But uh, it's got to be both. 
uh, director Alexander Nanau, or I apologize. It's a devastating documentary about the aftermath of a nightclub fire, which kills, uh, mm. I think around 30 people. Yeah. And the, the, the massive, massive defrauding of healthcare Ugh. in Romania that enriched the, the government that's in cover, uncovered mm. once it becomes apparent that they, the hospitals are completely incapable of treating the burn victims. Mm. Um, more people die and the parents and we just completely unassumingly, the Sports Gazette of Romania um, yes. is the only paper brave or determined enough to get its teeth in and, mm. and wrestle it down. Um, it plays out like a Stig Larsson, down, like from the Sports Gazette being the only journalist willing to do this to the yeah. just pure web of corruption yeah. um, as, as this story unfolds. Um, the reality is, is grisly and grim and it's analogous to a, our own situation. You could argue it's a layer or two in hell further down, but the propaganda yeah. is no less prevalent, mm. no less foul. It tells an incredibly important story. Yeah, it was a very confronting film and with issues about cronyism becoming so big in this country, yeah, it was um, obviously something to to think about and not be not feel too smug about just because your country might be a few more rungs higher up on the corruption index than uh, Romania. It's still something that affects anywhere power goes unchallenged it's um it makes you fucking furious um, oh yeah. vlad is vlad the minister that that comes in and yeah, tries to technocrat. change it yeah he's a hero just a true hero <laughs> yeah unflinching honesty and modesty admitting yeah. to the corruption and doing everything he can to stem its flow but um one of the the journalists involved in this has the line when press bows to government they abuse the people yeah and it's 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 such a flooring line. It's probably you know it's the highlight if you can call it that of the yeah. movie for me. Um, it just cool. sums up everything they were watching and everything wrong with our system. Yeah, a really good film if you can if you can stomach it because yeah. it's a whole bunch of bad stuff. But yeah, a very important and urgent message right now, especially with uh, the sudden dependence on health services around the world. <laughs> Okay, my number five is First Cow. What's your name? King Lou. They call me Cookie. My mother died when I was born, and then my father died. I never stopped moving. It's the getting started that's the puzzle. No way for a poor man to start. A 2019 film that basically became the first must-see film of this year. Uh, yeah, Kelly Reichardt's beautifully paced story of... Um, well, this is another beautifully paced story of uh, friendship in a harsh environment, very much like... Um, <laughs> let me try it without reading it. Never, never, rarely, sometimes, always. God damn it, I love yeah, that okay. movie. <laughs> I hate that I can't It's an order things. of ascending frequency. It is! That's why I have to stop and think about it. I just can't... <laughs> At some point, I'll get into a rhythm of it, like I did with um, Martha Marcy May Marlene, and everything will be fine. <laughs> In any case, yes, this is another beautifully paced story of friendship. Uh, Kelly Reichardt has an amazing eye for the beauty of the conventional. The story is two two men, um, one a sort of white guy, the other um, Chinese. They're um, living um, in colonial times. Uh, this is the beginnings of a colony somewhere in... Um, mm-hmm. It's in the United States, isn't it, as opposed to Canada? It is, yeah. But it's, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's sort of very far from... I don't want to say civilization, that's wrong. Mm. Um, it's far well, from sort of settled it... areas. Yeah. Um, and it's they have they have this bond they form a friendship and they settle upon a scheme by which they might be able to improve their lot by making use 
of the first cow to arrive in the territory uh, secretly. Mm. So textually, texturally, a uh, very rich rendering of the colonial time period. And it's just by setting a story about capitalism and the desperation but graft of the working classes in an early colonial period film um, setting mm. really just ties these ideas to the American experience. Like, this was right from the get-go what this country was going to be all about, you know, yeah. you know, by extension, most of the West, most of the world. Uh, there's something very McCarthy-like in its bluntness <laughs> and efficiency, but it's a far gentler film. It's For the harshness yeah. of it, it's a very gently paced, superbly edited film um, that features great turns from Joe Magaro, Orion Lee, and Toby Jones as well. Um, yeah. As the sort of uh, villain of the piece. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's also surprisingly funny. It's got a sort of yeah. a great sense of humor to it. Um, and I, I think the best scene of it is just the first scene where the two guys kind of connect with each other, which, you know, belays a, a tenderness that is um, mm. immediately absorbing. Yeah, great. Yeah. It's really yeah, great. there's loads of really lovely moments in there. Some great yeah. character moments and um, oh, yeah. and staging. Yeah. History isn't here yet. It's coming, but maybe this time we can take it on our own terms. My number four, uh, Goodman Original, uh, by which oh. I mean uh, directed by Lee Isaac Chung. Uh, it's called Minari. Yay! How's your daddy like that new farm? He growing things good, doing things right. Yes. 미국애들은 할머니랑 같이 방 쓰는 거 싫어한다던데. I don't like grandma. 걔는 안 그래요. 한국애니까. Grandma smells like Korea. 야, 뭐라고? Grandma smell? It's a beautiful movie about the American dream from an outsider's perspective. Mm. Um, as far as I'm aware, it's semi-autobiographical or at least mm. inspired by the director's own childhood in America featuring Stephen Ewan uh, yeah. Stephen Ewan of The Walking Dead and Burning mm. fame who oh, yeah uh, yeah um, <laughs> the the yawning villain it's terrifying but the um, and by terrifying I mean Soul Destroying watch that and then immediately watch what happens to him in Walking Dead and you might feel better <laughs> oh great okay well, with that in mind he plays the father who's staking everything in his farm um, even at the expense of his marriage um and wife daughter child uh daughter and child wife daughter <laughs> and uh son are along for the ride mm. there is an, an ongoing the ongoing analogy of the boy's weak heart means he can't yeah. run and that sort of like accompanies the film um mm. as they progress eventually they bring the grandmother in and um, yes. she provides a very farewell-esque dose of comedy um she for, steals for the, the for the most part <laughs> yeah she's incredible she yeah. Bounces off everybody in that house perfectly. It's yeah. got um, oh, what's his name? The chap from Armageddon in it. <laughs> I don't know. Do you mean the guy who's um the neighbor who's uh yeah the well the yeah the deeply religious Vietnam yeah. vet who helps him till the the soil and yeah he's a broken man. He's yeah. riddled with PTSD and is is mm. sort of aggressively religious only to himself. Yeah. So you've got this story of this yeah this family of foreigners coming into this this society and not being shunned just mm. just being outside observers to it and very slowly but not really becoming a part of it um yeah it, it, it is just a fucking beautiful movie um yeah. and oh my, my favorite scene is probably the 
the moment where the grandmother takes the boy, I wish I could mm. remember their names, down mm. to the riverside to plant the Minari. Yeah. We get a nice bit of <laughs> further bit of analogy. Yeah. This, the approach of leaving things unturned and, and yeah. letting things go by without needlessly aggravating them. Um, it's just a, a really nice moment in yeah. this in this movie of gorgeous moments. Absolutely, it's really special. And I, I did love that sort of analogy of the Minari itself representing the sort of the family, you know, something that can grow yeah. anywhere and is um, nourishing and uh, healing yeah. as well. It's just, yeah, yeah. really lovely. Oh, you pretty boy. Pretty boy. I'm not pretty. I'm good looking. <laughs> okay, my number four is Nomadland. You are one of those lucky people that can travel anywhere. Yes, ma'am. I know. And they sometimes call you nomads. My mom says that you're homeless. Is that true? No, I'm not homeless. I'm just houseless. Not the same thing, right? No. Mm-hmm. Yeah, did it by Chloe Zhao. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes the Academy gets something right. <laughs> this is, in so many ways, um, the movie that this year needed, and for good reasons and bad, oh, which yeah. we'll come to. Um, so the film is about a, a woman who is essentially a nomad. She has no home. She drives a van around which she lives in, and she moves from sort of place to place, acquiring you know short-term jobs, the kind of gig economy existence that allows her to remain on the road, um, seemingly fleeing uh, certain things from her past that she would rather not confront. Yeah. The film explores a sort of new and ancient form of American life that feels like the hardships of colonial times, but also the sort of most contemporary exploration of a new working class uh, and does so without judgment or at least sermonizing about them. Mm. Uh, There's tragedy there and hurt that pushes Fern down her road, but there's also joy that she finds along the way in connecting with other people and a freedom that is in some ways in some ways thrilling, especially, you know, watching it having been stuck at home all year. Yeah. Um, but I am aware of the controversy of the film and that it portrays working for Amazon and the gig economy yeah. in general as being a relatively positive experience where, you know, real life and recent news very much suggests the opposite. But I think the film does capture that Fern's situation is a result of the indifference and callousness of global capitalism. I think so. And what's really missing is any sort of service there to support her, but it just doesn't want to portray her as a victim. You know, Chloe Zhao, she's amazing at authentic portrayals of unconventional lives. Um, She also made The Rider, which was also excellent for this, and the damaged but beautiful people who are living those lives. Uh, It's such a tender and richly evoked portrait of lives being lived in the fallout of the stirrings of the great economic giant that we all live on top of. Um, Frances McDormand is amazing, completely uncontrived or cliched, and... um, Yeah, I think the best scene is just the quiet sequence of solitude where she explores an abandoned town, floats naked in a river, and then carries that lantern across a grassy field, which is just a really ponderous kind of snapshot of her life. I think Chloe Zhao's style is as such that it would not be honest of her to bring in a horrible, sweaty manager from Amazon and start Mm -hmm. berating people. I I think it it depicts her working life honestly enough that you would assume that this is not an ideal yeah it's 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 a necessary evil i yeah i really like this movie it's yeah. it, very confronting for me but um yeah it was really great and yeah i love that even-handedness yeah absolutely and one last note on it is i i managed to take mum to go see it um in that brief mm. window where cinemas were open so i was very appreciative of the opportunity to do that and uh thanks to the bfi ludovico Inaudi did the score uh well i don't know the extent to which Inaudi does scores or if he just sort of contributes pieces 
yeah. or just lets them use pieces he's already written. You know, like he did the score for This Is England, but did he? You know, <laughs> yeah. um, you never know. But he got, hey, his he music got paid is for in it. the film. So, oh, make no mistake, he took money for it. Let's have no. <laughs> he got paid. He got paid. See you now, bitch. <laughs> he could buy himself another gold chain. See you now, limp dick motherfuckers. <laughs> Horrible man. Horrible. Awful, violent okay. man. Beautiful music, though. One of the things I love most about this life is that there's no final goodbye. I've met hundreds of people out here, and I don't ever say a final goodbye. Let's just say, I'll, I'll see you down the road. Speaking of awful, violent man. <laughs> Um, your number three? Well, my number three is your number... Defer that, then. Stick that at the defer, defer pipe. <laughs> well, you know, so far, my top ten have, with one exception in Possession, been non-genre dramas with experimental flair. Uh, mm. And also kind of downers, if we're honest. So, my top three are straight-up whimsy, accessible, cinematic charms hiding hidden depths of emotional resonance. So let's finally get into some positive oh, and so movies. am I. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Let's finally get into some positive stuff here. So my number three, yeah. uh, Deferred. Oh. Yeah, it's your number, your number two. So oh, let okay. you talk about it right now. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, my number two is Soul. Soul. Uh, or Soul. Is this heaven? No, it's the great before. This is where new souls get their personalities, quirks, and interest before they go to Earth. Meet 22. I don't want to go to Earth. Stop fighting this. I don't want to. Uh. <laughs> Directed by Pete Doctor, Doctor and another person. Yeah, um, he's the only person that came up when I googled it last night. So um, there, oh, there shit. we go. Oh shit! Yeah, Pete Doctor. Fuck yeah, a guy Pete. whose name sounds like it was made up by Peter Serafinowitz. <laughs> and maybe it was. We don't know. I haven't done the research. Um, IMDb swears it is, and I'm willing to go with it. Um, the most fantastic and fan- uh, not necessarily fantastical, but the most fantastic Pixar to date for me. Mm. It's hard lessons in incredibly sweet and neatly packaged masterpieces. Joe, uh, an aspiring jazz musician, dies uh, just after getting the news that he's got a gig, the gig he always wanted. Mm. And he goes through heaven and pre... Pre-life. Pre-life. Yeah. Pre-life um, to try and escape the inevitable. Mm. Uh, coming across number 22, who's a failed uh, pre-life pre-lifer um who does not see the appeal of of living on the earth yeah it is a well-observed touching and extremely resonant movie for me as a musician and a general warrior the way it depicts the lost souls the people who get caught up doing the 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 thing that is part of life but isn't living um and then being in the zone then but but then also conversely the moments where the characters are just being still and appreciating life yeah uh visual beats in my heart they're always going to be there with me now i think mm. um i can't wait to watch this movie again um it just gets so much right and, and so much of it is accurate for me yeah oh man yeah so the atticus ross and trent Reznor soundtrack and then the is it john baptiste john baptiste yeah um the soundtrack for the jazz mm. arrangements um both just chalk and cheese and absolutely incredible really powerful stuff yeah uh so with all of that in mind, my favorite favorite scenes really mm. anything involving musical performance, incredibly for animated uh, for an animated movie mm. where we've talked about the difficulties of animating comedy. I'd have thought the same would be there for for 
music performance, but from the very first scene when he's explaining how he fell in love with, yeah. with music. Um, oh, that's brilliant, it just yeah. had me. I was I was almost welling up in the first two minutes. Yeah, um, fantastic. Just another brilliant Pixar film that explains a complicated concept in such an accessible and entertaining way that's going to be you know, able to get kids on board whilst keeping adults completely delighted as well. I'm actually, I'm, I think I'm one of the few people who actually managed to see this in a cinema because it had its premiere on my birthday at the London Film Festival, yeah. which I attended. Um, and you're allowed out um, <laughs> during lockdown when it's your birthday. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> There's such a brief window of um, being allowed outside that we had last year. Um, so I got to go see it at a cinema. And um, then, yeah, immediately it had its American release pulled. So <laughs> not many people saw it in a cinema. <clears throat> yeah, it's an extraordinary film. And my favorite scene, this is my number three, by the way. Uh, my favorite scene is quite easily the sequence where 22, whilst in Joe's body, finally understands contentment and peaceful moments as she's watching yes. the sort of helicopter seed come down. And that's, um, yeah, just a gorgeous moment that I really love. And what a trilogy now. What a what a sort of Pete Doctor trilogy you've now got of sort of up, inside out, and um, and soul. <laughs> just oh. Oh, beautiful stuff. Man, he... He had death on the mind, um, but the death of uh, the the death of the body and the self. Mm. A monster Kid for kids. Yeah, yeah. Mm, this weird. What is it? One hundred fifty-one thousand souls go into the great beyond every day, and I count every single one of them. The counts off. Huh. My number two, which yeah. was your number three. Oh, uh, complicatedly. Is um, hang Fitting on a minute. Me. Am I? Am I? Yeah, white guy. Great. Uh, tenant. <laughs> Last time it was no tennis. One of these bullets is like us, traveling forwards through time. The other one's going backwards. Can you tell which is which? How about now? Why does it feel so strange? You're not shooting the bullet. You're catching it. Whoa. I didn't win back in myself. Felt like uh, yes. Christopher Nolan. Yeah. And, um, oh, look, fuck, I'm not going to apologize for this. This is the most no. Nolan film that Nolan ever made. Yeah. Um, with all of the resulting strengths and weaknesses uh, that come from that. It's just so thrilling to watch something so uncommercial yeah. with so much money behind it. The film concerns. <laughs> okay, let me have a go at this. John David Washington plays the protagonist yeah. who discovers that uh, technology has been invented that can reverse an object or person's entropy, allowing them to travel backwards through time simultaneously mm. to the world around them moving forwards. Um, can something be simultaneous if it's moving the other, other way? These and many more questions are considered <laughs> by John David Washington as he uncovers a plot to completely destroy the entire world by mm. um, Kenneth Branagh uh, by releasing Artemis Fowl. So... The central mechanic is fascinating and a lot of fun yeah. to obsess over and watch videos of, you know, how it works. And, you know, the idea of the winds of entropy is just, oh, it's just fun. It's fun to puzzle over and you've got little clues and mysteries and the plot as well going on. Uh, f- incredible action sequences amplified by Goranson's yep. perfect score. You've got Nolan's typically messy um, and sometimes slightly frustrating way of uh, filming action, which still nevertheless portrays weight an impact yes. you know maybe you can't quite see all the moves being made but you can hear them and feel momentum them, you know in the seat of Impetus. your pants yeah momentum and power is what you yeah. get from the way nolan films a sequence which is something i think eludes some of his critics 
deeper themes going on of mankind's of undoing mankind's mistakes yeah. and as with all time traveling movies ultimately if you think about it the idea of destroying responsibility yes. if effect no longer has to follow cause then you can escape the burden of responsibility which subtly ties into you know it ties the overall theme of what the bad guys of the uh, film are trying to do with the protagonists with him learning to take responsibility for his actions yes within the story and break away from procedure a procedure that he's willing to die for at the beginning of the film um john david washington and robert panson you're not giving the dramatic performances of their lives but they're fun and they're entertaining and they work well together yeah just incredibly great Um, entertaining pair yeah and that's just the film it's just fun it's nolan's bond film and it successfully updates the sort of plot lines of classic bond films that even bond films aren't all that interested in doing anymore um I just feel excited when I watch it, you yeah. know, and I didn't get enough of that last no. year. It's a, a sleek, thrilling cinematic experience that I got to see at the IMAX. Oh. I got to go there, wait in the lobby, and be excited about the film starting. Yeah. And I cannot get that from any streaming service, what Warner Brothers. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Fucking just... <laughs> did Warner Brothers, are they streaming Tenet, or has Nolan refused? Um, oh, They've probably got Tenet now, but they didn't do the initial okay. release. They put it on. Well, that's, that's um, good. Yeah. Um. But I'm not going to watch Godzilla vs. Kong until I can do it in a big cinema, because why else would I be watching yeah. it? But Tenet, uh, yeah, for me, the p- performance, yeah. performances and script are razor sharp. It's the right mix of lunacy and yeah. sardonic for me. Um, yeah. the, <laughs> Nolan's amazing actors delivering his crazy lines. Yeah. Uh, everything to me. <laughs> the future is attacking us. Yeah. <laughs> Says Pimple, uh, Dimple Patel. Oh. oh, God. Edit out me calling her Pimple <laughs> Devel. What are you, J.K. Rowling? <laughs> Nolan's ambition is oh, just God. utterly astonishingly grand. Um, yeah, it's absolutely satis- so satisfying again and again and again to watch him bringing these movies to screen. I, for one, don't watch videos trying to you know, explain the theory. I just watch and rewatch and rewatch and hash out some stupid theory of yeah. <laughs> it, it just I'm I'm stuck in my own brain with my stupid ideas, and I like watching it <laughs> one more time and going oh oh. He's going the other way. And, uh, <laughs> if I watch it 15 times, then eventually I uh, understand half of it. It's the, the thrill, the, the giddy laughter I get watching one of his movies. Yeah. And, and knowing that I don't know what the fuck is going on, but eventually I will. Um, yeah. My favorite scene, probably John David Washington flexing his uh, his action chops. The <laughs> the fight scene in the kitchen. Oh, that's great. Restaurant. Really um, good. He, really raw. He's let... Yeah, especially that guy's knuckles. Ooh, um, but um, yeah, he'd given no hint of his capabilities mm. there really um, until that moment. Yeah, and he just so effectively dispatches five guys in a, yeah. in a kitchen. It's wonderful. Just when he pushes the guy into the shelf and delivers five quick blows to the face, it's really quite affecting. Yeah. My favorite scene. There were two moments that turned me around on this because the first time I was watching it, I wasn't too sure I was on board. I knew I was having a viscerally entertaining experience, but. Also, so much exposition. I wasn't sure. Two scenes turned it for me. First, the dinner scene, where Elizabeth Debicki talks about, you know, um, the offer that uh, her awful mm. husband made to her to walk away. That was great. That really had me involved, and Gonson's music was gorgeous there. And the highway chase was where I got really excited about the potential of the premise. So, yeah, yeah. those two moments were the ones that kind of sold me on, uh, on Tenet, and they're still as fun to revisit now. What do you think we're seeing? The detritus of a coming war. Okay, now we're going to do honourable mentions. Okay, nice and quick then. Number 30 is Mank. Finch is just about squeezed in there with his inventive, authentic, surprisingly funny and garrisonly witty movie. Slick and phony in a good way? 
<laughs> Good stuff. Uh, mine is Bloody Nose Empty Pocket, documentary about the last day of a pub. A uh, really nice eulogy to the pub experience, which um, I hope is dead, because I hate it. But it really captures the um, the unique suffering that can go on inside of a uh, dank and dingy dive bar. Dank, mate. Dank. dank uh, number Danky Nine Extraction. <laughs> Stuntman, Stam- Sam- Stuntman Stam Star Grave Direct. <laughs> uh, story by the uh, Russo Brothers Stum Stum. Chris Hemsworth is a mercenary whose morals are put to the test. Uh, mm. Very satisfying action movie with niggles here and there, but outshone by very good punching. Number 29, After Love. Joanna Scanlon's husband dies. Turned out he had a whole other family. Shit, they're French and oh. awful. She goes and spends time with them, pretending to be their maid. It's really tense and upsetting and has a lot of stuff in there about the beauty of knowing someone and what real love really actually is. Really, really, really. Should attest. Number 28, St. <laughs> Maud. Paul's gone on about it. Religious horror movie with Morphid Clark. It's great from Clark and it's un- unsettling and weirdly erotic. <laughs> I can't wait to drill down into that in the Patreon this week. Fantastic. <laughs> um, 28. Actually, yeah, it kind of is. 20, it's just Morphid Clark. Uh, 28. The Relic. Which is Relic, maybe, if you like. Mm. Um, really great mm. horror movie in the tradition of stuff like The Babadook. It explores dementia in a slightly cynical way, but I really also enjoy... Um, so many movies about dementia this year. Really dark, really creepy, really meaningful. Just like Sex With Me. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Morphic Clark, 27 on the rocks. <laughs> Sophia Coppola directs mm. Rashida Jones and Bill Murray, as well as Easy Career Best from Marlon Wayans, as a mm. lush of a father who convinces his daughter to spy on her husband, who may be cheating. It's great to see a return to form after so long from Coppola. I'm hoping for more of this. Good stuff. Glad to hear it. 27. Uh, Mark Rainey's Black Bottom. Uh, um, a, yeah, a, a movie that maybe feels a bit too much like a play, but incredible performances throughout the entire thing. A really dramatic story and a brilliant story of just um, black art being appropriated by white executive types in a really upsetting yep. way. Number 26, My Rainey's Black Bottom. Um, all, all, of that, <laughs> all of that stuff. And Viola Davis and Chadwick Boseman yeah. are fucking mesmerizing. Fuck yeah. God, he is. Both of them are. They're just amazing. <laughs> um, number 26, the obituary of Tunde Johnson. A young black man is stuck inside of the day in which he's shot dead by the police, no matter what he does. Um, in spite of that premise, just really entertaining, inventive, exciting, occasionally funny, very romantic kind of movie that really explores some of the ideas, some of the many, many ideas of the anxiety that black men experience whilst living in a fundamentally racist society. Great. Great. Number Great. 25. Are you, Glad to I hear used it. to go here. <laughs> Great, mate. Number 25, I used to go here. Gillian mm. Jacobs plays a mid-30s bombing writer who returns to her alma mater as a speaker. Finding the line between your 20s and 30s isn't clear enough to avoid a little humility. Mm. Uh, good-natured and enjoyable film. Oh, good. I like those. 25, yeah. His House. Um, Another one of these brilliantly... Oh, God, I could have put this higher even. It's so good. It's just a brilliantly realised kind of horror movie about a, um immigrant man and his wife who come to... Um, that's probably bad that I describe it that way. Uh, immigrant couple who come... And uh, put up in a house by the council by Matt Smith. It's awful. And um, yeah, and it's just about their experiences living in this house as it crumbles and decays around them and ghosts from their past catch up with them, as well as the uh, sort of suspicion that they're treated with by their neighbors and society. Okay. And Matt Smith. Anyone else? Just Matt Smith, mainly. Okay. 24, Alive, or hashtag Alive. <laughs> oh. Korean zombie film with fun Gen Z overtones, uh, really <laughs> likable characters and performances, satisfying gore. Also, another man from Burning is in this, the main one. <laughs> the main one, I love that guy. Um, speaking of the main one, 24, David Burns, Spike Lee's American <laughs> Utopia. Um, what a fucking surprise of a movie. My favourite Spike Lee film of the year, surprisingly. Um, <laughs> yeah. Don't add us. Um, yeah, just a really charming, completely unashamed um, celebration of... Uh, the music of the talking heads and what it meant then and what it can mean now and it's just 
a really great sort of capturing of the thrill of a live performance, which again, I've been missing. Mm. Number 23, Trial of the Chicago 7. Ooh. Tale of corruption and hypocrisy based on the trial of anti-Vietnam War protesters for inciting violence. Great cast in Eddie Red Maybe, I've written. Uh, <laughs> Eddie Red Maybe Bluth, uh, Sasha Baron Cohen, Mark Rylance and more. Aaron Sorkin playing to his strengths to make his point very enjoyable and captivating movie. Oh, fuck. Okay, number 23, Shirley. Really tense character study of uh, one of America's great ghost novelists and bit reductive probably um god i get so problematic when i'm speaking quickly um elizabeth moss is really fantastic in the um somewhat lead role and it's just about the sort of uh tense exploration of the relationship between these two people and um that's all i can remember to say about it i should have revised more well this is this is the quick fire section fuck Number 22, yeah the devil all the time tale of rural dark-heartedness with the cast of the decades rising or peaking stars tom holland robert pattinson riley keogh bill skarsgård and more skarsgård and more skarsgård and more uh, 22 Mangrove this is Steve McQueen's uh, the best of his I think small acts uh, sequence mm. of films it's basically a documentary about the Mangrove restaurant um, and how its owner sort of reluctantly became the head of a black civil rights movement mm. um, and just about the extent to which a uh, uh, the police force is willing to push him into a corner and what he he will do when he's there it's a really thrilling courtroom drama as well number 21 The Invisible Man Ooh. Gripping modern horror with domestic abuse analogies worn on its sleeve. Uh, brilliant tension and amazing performance from Elizabeth Moss. Fantastic. Absolutely. Number 21, Onward. Yeah, uh, the other of Disney's sort of big releases of the year. Really sweet story about um, grief and family and just a really beautiful tale of two brothers uh, connecting with each other. It's two brothers. It's and just fin- two brothers. <laughs> it's just two brothers. And it's a fantastically realized world as well. I really love the sort of world of Onward. Number 20, The Social Dilemma, an alarming documentary on the inescapable mm. Skinner box that is social media and smartphone tech. A must watch and something to mull over deeply before taking action in your own life. You Take it. Do it now. Eat your phone. Uh, number 20, <laughs> One Night in Miami. Um, another play come film, but one that definitely has cinematic feel to it. Four, incre- it uh, presupposes the idea that four incredibly uh, important black men all met each other in the same motel and had a discussion in the 1960s, just after Muhammad Ali's victory over Sonny Liston. Um, and it's, yeah, it's just a really marvelously written and incredibly well-performed film. Love, <laughs> love me a good cum film. 19. <laughs> Cajillionaire, surreal and singular ah. tale of a family of swindlers whose ties are tested with the arrival of a new honorary member. Miranda, Miranda July directs, Evan Rachel Wood is unrecognisable, and Richard Jenkins yeah. and Deborah Winger are shockingly awful. A real treat. <laughs> Absolutely. Number 19, Cajillionaire. Really good. Loved it a lot. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> 18. It was very funny. Yeah, it really was. Fuck yeah. 18, Sound of Metal. Fuck you. Metal. How did that... <laughs> so good. Oh, I wonder what yours is. Riz Ahmed <laughs> plays a drummer who loses his hearing and must shift lifestyles and come to embrace deafness as a new life as opposed to a disability. Uh, yeah. You you do your next bit. Derek Sanfrans did this, wrote this as well with the director. Yeah, he did. Uh, yeah, number 18, Sound of Metal. This is getting scary. What's wrong with us? <laughs> um, yeah, really brilliant film about finding stillness and learning to appreciate it. And I, uh, yeah, love yeah, that. Directed by Darius Marder, I forgot to say. Yeah. Um, 17, <laughs> Ammonite. Okay. Uh, oh, damn. <laughs> Oh. Francis Lee's oh. Francis Lee's second film about sad gay people in sad British towns is unsurprisingly beautiful Yay. and miserable at yeah. once. Kate Winslet and Saoirse Ronan are beautiful together, and two very different forces just digging for something difficult to articulate. Ah, good stuff, digging. That's brilliant. That's worth oh, slowing yeah. down for that one. Uh, number seventeen, <laughs> The Invisible Man. Um, yeah, just an incredibly tense horror film. A big, uh, what big scale horror could look like? You know, it has that wonderful sense of momentum and um, yeah. drama to it. And Elizabeth Moss gives another one of her incredible performances of this Great. year. I always think, Moss, who the fuck is Moss? 
Um, <laughs> Lee Winnell's come a long way since Saw. Yes. 16, <laughs> Nomad Land. Chloe Zhao's Ooh. naturalistic directing brings this story of a widowed worker getting on in years. He decides to live. Paul did all this. It's beautiful, uh, beautiful <laughs> visual style, equivocal approach. Not afraid to show pros and cons. And Francis McDormand yeah. continues to amaze. Absolutely. Number 16, June, uh, Miss Juneteenth. June. <sighs> Miss Juneteenth. Uh, Miss Juneteenth, um, story about a uh, woman who won a beauty co- uh, pageant contest when she was young, has now beca- uh, gotten older, and has w- uh, feels that she has not made use of the potential that was offered to her and wants her daughter to follow in her footsteps and actually make something of her life. Incredible story about parenthood, about the black experience in America, and how fragile um, success can be in that context. And yeah, just yeah, a really fantastic film about intergenerational... Um, Life. <laughs> Fuck it, I've run out of words. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I need to Google more um, synonyms for good. Fuck it. Uh, <laughs> number 15, The Way Back. Gavin O'Connor of Warrior fame and writer Brad Inglesby uh-huh. bring tale of alcoholic basketball coach on the road to recovery and equilibrium. Uh, coach is played by Ben Affleck. Uh, it's a gripping, a bloody gripping sports movie with real emotional beats from Affleck as the coach whose performance is undoubtedly informed by his own al- alcoholism. Mm. It's good stuff. E- Ex-alcoholism. <laughs> ex-alcoholism. Well, you're always an addict, I suppose. Well, maybe you went back and changed the past tenet. Uh, number 15, I'm thinking of ending things. <laughs> They've done that. Yeah, really poetic and beautiful rumination on a life potentially Great. not lived. Number 14, never really, sometimes, always. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, Paul said it's great, superb story from Eliza Hitman. Cleverly powerful tale of misogyny and miseducation. Yeah. Great performances from Talia Ryder, Sidney Flanagan, and a gorgeous soundtrack, yeah. as I said. Fantastic. Number 14, The Painter and the Thief. Yeah, just a really beautiful story about shared humanity and, um, yeah, the the beauty and terror of being seen. Number 13, Onward. Second, second, second Pixar of second. the year to tackle the difficult subject of death, this time of a father and a family left to grow up without him. Very funny and cathartically bittersweet. Bravo to Pixar once again. Absolutely. Uh, number 13, Ammonite. Yeah, as we say, just a really another really beautiful film from Francis Lee that showcases two incredible performances and a great eye for period detail as well. Mm. A really fully and lovingly rendered sort of old English town um, and the sort of quiet intimacy that can develop there between two people who have been hardened by their circumstances. Fuck yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Number 12, The Father... Florian Zeller's adaptation of her own play. Uh, yeah. <sighs> My God. Coleman and Hopkins are perfect. Um, it's cinema yeah. through and through. I'd say Hopkins' career best. Mark Gatiss and Olivia, Olivia oh, yeah. Williams and Rufus Sewell, all excellent too. Utterly, stunning, utterly stunningly shattering, and I will never forget it. Absolutely. Did you refer to Florian Zeller as her? Yes. Ah. Whoops. Anyway. <laughs> I just foreign person. Foreign name. It could yeah. happen. And that's that's fine. Well, yeah, I, I can cut that line. It's fine. <laughs> Him. <laughs> Him. That's not even right. <laughs> Him play. Ad- adaptation of her own hymn. <laughs> Number 12, Minari. Yeah, just a really beautiful story about how family can grow roots uh, wherever it lays. Um, yeah, just a completely surprising and very tender portrayal of um, uh, the thing I already said. God almighty. <laughs> Good. Of good, good, good. That's a circular <laughs> sentence. That one. It's like uh, it's like Tenet. If you take the begin, the end, and put it on the beginning, you'll be fine. This whole episode is like Tenet. Actually, if you play it backwards, <laughs> it's the same. Um, <laughs> that's how Tenet works. That's what Tenet is. That's what t- that's what the title of Tenet is. And my God, I think the rest of the movie is like that too. All right, look, we haven't seen any of these films. Okay, <laughs> just leave us alone. We've, we're we've doing our best. We're, imp- <laughs> we're improvising based purely on the title. We're not allowed to watch films anymore. 
Speaking of which, number 11, Supernova. Incredibly mm. bittersweet tale oh, of partners yeah. dealing with the descent of one into dementia. Um, Colin Firth, Stanley Tuch- Tucci, utterly incredible. and Tooch! Um, and, to- and Tooching. The Tooch. And um, with a soundtrack by um, Saddest Man Alive, Keaton Henson. <laughs> incredible. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, number 11 is St. Maud. And I'll talk more about that in the Patreon. But suffice to say, it is one of the most effective Ooh. horror films I've seen in a long time. A really disturbing character study. Beautiful. Okay, we're all done, and we're ready to talk about our favourite films of the year. And for the first time in OGT history, it's actually a favourite film. Uh, Oh no! no. Whoops! Whoops! Uh oh! It's Wolfwalkers. Yeah, Wolfwalkers. Wolfwalkers. Wolf, wolf, hunting far and yonder. The forest is brimming with wolves. It's my job to hunt them down, not yours. But we could hunt them together. Wolves, bears, dragons even. (laughs) (laughs) Wolfwalkers. I was trying to do a a Sean Bean. Wolfwalkers. (laughs) Wolfwalkers. That's good. (laughs) Let's talk about fucking Wolfwalkers. It's Cartoon Saloon, um, one of the fucking... I would call it a national treasure. I doubt they'd appreciate being lumped in with um, us shower of bastards. Um, but just one of the best things to come out of the British Isles, let's say. Um, yeah. It well, just... it's Republic of Ireland, right? So it's... Is it? It's... Yeah. Which one's that, so Paul? I don't... I'm that's, too tired. That's, that's not the UK. That's Yeah, but it's the British Isles, right? Well, I don't know, because the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland doesn't include the Republic of Ireland. It's one of the so best European things to have come about. Yeah. <laughs> They're in the EU still. <laughs> it's not about a nation. It's a continent. Fuck you. It's <laughs> yeah. It's Tom Moore directing again with Nora Tomi involved, and it's just yeah. It's it's a a really gorgeous, funny, sweet, exciting, empowering, and totally unique film. Um, yeah. we've got Robin and Maeve. Robin is the daughter of Sean Bean, so it's dreadful, dreadful existence for her. She's living <laughs> in a tiny Irish um town. Uh, well, a, a sort of English town imposed into Ireland. Um, yeah, it's some something like early modern history. Um sort of muskets yeah i think are about um and yeah, you've got cromwell there you got cromwell there so yeah we're about we're about that time and um yes yeah, so they're surrounded by the wilderness which includes um mave a um young girl who's able to transform into a wolf when she falls asleep a condition mm. that she passes on to robin and it's oh fuck it's just they're so endearing <laughs> and they're such yeah. powerful characters and i love seeing a rich fantasy world that draws on celtic culture but with more authenticity mm. than potentially Disney would do if they decided to do that. Or oh, they did in Brave. It's more authentic than Brave. Uh, it's better than Brave. <laughs> it's better than Brave. I like Brave, but it's better than Brave. <laughs> the theme of kids realising their identities and inner powers and coming up against the restrictive concerns and attitudes of their parents and the sort of patriarchal yeah. society around them obviously lends itself to a lot of parallels to oppressed groups, but this is specifically two young women who, you know, two young girls who are realizing their inner strength in opposition to a male-driven society. So it particularly lends itself to feminist reads. Um, But I'm also delighted to read Kevin Johnson's article at Den of Geek about how this pertains to queer identity. So I Mm. think there's just, there's something in there for everyone. And it's just, yeah, really, really lovely. Yeah, I I think for me, just the relationships that we see on screen between Mm. Sean Bean and um, his daughter and um, why don't I... I was meant to find out a the name of the character and b the name of the fucking actor who plays her. Oh, plays Robin. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm not sure. As like the main actor. Um, <laughs> she's so good. Yeah, she's wonderful. Why don't we research? We used to be historians. 
<laughs> you researched fucking forty films in a on a uh, on a on a Neefsy. Neefsy. I, I, I'm I'm gonna just absolutely mangle the pronunciation there, but mm. yeah, on a on a Neefsy and Sean Bean, mm. their relationship is just so real. It's so wonderful. Um, the every interaction between them in the second half of the movie had me in tears, and yeah. um, the relationship between Robin and uh, Maeve. It's just so funny, everything about them, the two incredibly well-rounded characters that are conflicting yeah. almost every point um, to begin with. Mm. It's it's just a source of constant comedy, and um, yeah. the the closer they get, it's it's just bloody lovely. It really um, is. It's so I, endearing, and the animal sidekicks, of which there are quite a few, um, yeah. the hawk that she has with her yep. is just permanently endearing. And the the, yeah. the quality of the animation is just um yeah is just gorgeous. And I, I think of in in the quality of the animation as well as all of the the folklore mm. stuff, which is just beautiful when you yeah. get out to the countryside. Yeah. Some of the supporting cast, like that bully kid, um, <laughs> who who who, yeah. who just looks like a again not to say that this this it's Britain, but like it just looks like a British <laughs> child, just pale. And, <laughs> well, all the and, bad and guys and horrible characters are mostly looking. British. I think that particular kid is voiced yeah. by an Irish actor, but um. Well, yeah, he's 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 an Irish kid. Yeah, he's an Irish kid, he's... but there is something very yes. Fuck me, why can't we describe? There, there's a word that describes our relationship with our nearest island. Um, I don't know oh. what it is. There's a word that describes just the whole cluster of islands that we are. I'm sure it's the British Isles. I know it's bad yeah. that it's Britain that's there, but yeah, I, there'd probably be people who would uh, <laughs> object. <laughs> who would yeah. object? Yeah, but um, yeah. Look, and and the there's a guy who ends up in the stocks quite early on. Yeah, he's a is, very um, character. Just, just an amazing comedic relief, and he yeah. he was played by somebody somebody I recognised, I think. But was it a lesser Gleason? Gleason. Um, <laughs> no, it's Tom well, Tiernan. It, Oh, that's it, Tommy Tin, and that's it. Yeah. Um. Yeah, he's great. Just, just. Yeah. Really amusing stuff, and just a, a love another lovely character. Um, yeah. I mean, my my favorite scene is probably the one where Robin uh first dream, you know dreams and and mm. runs with the wolves when Run- yeah, Aurora's that's running with the wolves plays. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. It's, uh, it's a lovely song, and it's such an incredible sequence of just seeing these um. You know, Maeve is like teaching um, yeah. Robin on what she can do now. You know, you can hear the ground yeah. for your feet and, you know, all the rest of it. Yeah. And it's just, oh, my God, it's blissful. It's such a wonderful moment. That's, it's it's pure fantasy joy. Yeah, it really is. And um, I actually, I saw this on my birthday last year. This was another gift that the London Film Ooh. Festival gave to me. Um, I But I saw it at home. It was part of their streaming service that they did to people's homes and it was at a time when you were allowed up to six people in the home, so I had four of okay. my dearest friends in the living room, all watching and enjoying this brilliant film together. So, oh, if Tenet was my best experience at a cinema last year, then Wolfwalkers was my best experience watching a movie at home with friends, and I miss that too. So it's just another yeah. little slice of the what film can be when it's shared with people, yeah. and it's just gorgeous, and I really loved it. Yeah, bloody lovely film. What a solidly excellent film. <laughs> Yeah, okay, well, let's, um, with that, and with us dangerously close to getting this in under time, let's consult the OG team! Knowing that uh, we wanted to get this under time, uh, the OG team have responded in small numbers, so thanks. (laughs) 
Thanks, um, but please don't do that. Always reply in very large numbers yeah. and never feel that you shouldn't reply <laughs> because we love yeah. each and every one of you. That's true. Even you. Even you, and you're horrible. Yeah, you're literally the worst person I've ever met, but <laughs> we take you in every week under the OG team <laughs> wing. But some of the OG team who did respond, firstly from Patreon, mm. Jem Newlin, Ooh. Uh, says possessor yeah. for being everything I expected and more, <laughs> an instant classic. Special mention to Tenet for being initially disappointing to me, mm. only to be chewed over in my mind for a week until I decided it was great. <laughs> it's a grower, uh, not a shower. <laughs> it, it, it certainly is, um, unlike Christopher Nolan, who has already grown <laughs> and fully shown. He'll shine. show it to you whenever you ask. Approach him on the street. Yeah, and when you don't, because he'll know that you want it secretly. <laughs> Uh, low budget nod to Gretel and Hansel and, and the surreal yeah. house most of the film takes place in. I didn't see that one. I saw another one that was. I saw. I saw Judy and Punch. <laughs> yeah, similar kind of concept. <laughs> yeah, Jem's mentioned this to me mm. before actually, and it does sound pretty cool. Mm. If, if not for the visuals alone, good stuff. So uh, gonna have to give that a watch. A watch. Thanks, Jem. Um, mm. going over to Twitter now. Stuart Walkinson mm. says, looking at film release. Uh, looking at the film releases last year, it appears I watched very few of them. Mm. In fact, I watched three of the ones nominated for Oscars. I think my favourite of those three was The Trial of the Chicago 7. Ah. I also watched I also watched Tenet, terrible, <gasps> and about 15 minutes of Borat. I know, I know. Look, Stuart, Stuart's coming on the show in a few weeks' time, actually. Yeah, we're going to so we'll, take we'll, him to task on this. Let's not, let's not say anything right now. We'll, we'll Between <laughs> us, we'll not say anything. And then when he comes on, we'll be like, Oi! We're not even interested in the film you know. brought. Here's Tenet, motherfucker, and we play it to him. <laughs> Over Skype. And he won't be able to leave. We'll figure, that out. we'll figure out how to do that. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a pretty good indication of my state of mind during the pandemic. I still watched a lot of films, but they were films I'd seen already. Yeah. Getting some comfort viewing last year, I think. I did yes that. and how. I did that a lot as well. Without the cinemas open, it was very difficult for me to summon enthusiasm for new films. Um, honestly, yeah. I, the cinematic experience is very much tied to my love of film. And without that, it was difficult to do it. So, yeah, I feel that. Yeah. Saw many, many old films. Mm. Um, finally, Crapflix and Chill says, for us, Love and Monsters. Not the deepest movie ah. in the world, but a fun adventure monster movie with a surprising amount of heart. Ah. Yeah, I was, I did have this on my list of films to watch and I just didn't get around to yeah, it. Yeah, this one's on my list, uh, frankly, because my big celebrity crush at the moment, um, Jessica Henwick, is, uh, is in it. And um, so, yeah, I have been meaning to watch it. So I will get around to that. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, OGT. Uh, what about Facebook? I thought I saw Jessica Soul get in touch for the first time in absolutely ages. Well, Jess- Jessica Soul did get in touch mm. for the first time in absolutely ages, but that was to talk about Reefer Madness. Oh, okay. Um, Sorry. She, she 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 recommended a, a, a the musical of Reefer Madness. Oh for shit. Us to watch. Um, <laughs> well, yeah. that sounds immense. So, thanks for getting in touch. Yeah. Jen. It's been ages since we've heard. We from absolutely you. love hearing um, from Jennifer. Really, Sons. really cool that you're still listening. Yeah, she was our first proper fan, right? The first fan who wasn't like related to us or that we hadn't paid to so, send yeah. comments in. We'll always love hearing from Jennifer Stones. So, yeah, and all of you, we love the OG team, especially yeah. right now, this second. I just feel so close to all of you. Okay, thank you very much for writing in. Yeah. Now, a brief look at the highest grossing films of oh. the year, which is largely characterized by the fact that America and m- Europe couldn't go to the movies for most of the year, so <laughs> China could. <laughs> okay. Whether or not they should have, doesn't matter, they did. So get, a, get ready for a lot of state-approved fun. The highest grossing film of 2020 would have placed 11th on the 2019 list. Not a lot of money being made. Uh-oh. Um. So at number ten, Shockwave two, Andy Lau's Hong Kong action movie of the year, probably one of six. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Probably good fun. I don't know. I find that a lot of modern um Hong Kong based action movies aren't quite as fun as their past ones. There's a lot of 
digital cinematography yeah. being used and uh, sure. uh, a lot more um, Western style editing. But hey, I could give it a look. A Little Red Flower is apparently a Chinese ripoff of a Fault in, of the Fault in Our Stars. So, okay, <laughs> curious. Well, why not? Zhang Ziya is a uh, Chinese animated adventure that looks quite fun, honestly. <laughs> it looks quite nice. Ah, cool. Right, and then number seven, Doolittle. Whoops. Right. Yeah. Fuck. Okay. Great. Oh, we love the way he speaks. With, oh, it's not even the accent. I can't do it anymore. <laughs> Fuck off. End of the bit. Highest <laughs> grossing film of the year. Uh, no, I put a, I put a <laughs> Scottish-style growth in there, and it wasn't yeah. right. It's been too long. Go back and watch Got our you. episode for our thoughts on the fact that Doolittle is the seventh um, highest grossing <laughs> film of the year. Fantastic. Number six, similarly excellent, Sonic the Hedgehog. Uh-huh. I thought I probably wouldn't have fallen asleep during if I had known it would be one of the few films I got to see at the cinema that year. Um, I think it was the <laughs> hottest... crying. No, it wasn't the hottest day of the year. It was February. No, I'm mixing it up. Um, but I remember going to see it on Valentine's Day and then immediately afterwards of screening of a portrait of a lady on fire. So... Oh, great. I had a good day eventually. <laughs> Sonic's fine. It's weird. It's a rip-off of Detective Pikachu with Jim Carrey doing his old 90s Bernard, so it's surreal. Yeah, I can imagine. Number five, Tenet. Good stuff. Okay. Happy to see Only that. films come out. <laughs> Only film that was released. In Australia. Um, number four, Demon Slayer. Kimetsu no Yaiba, the movie. Mugen Train. Okay. That's, Is that the whole That's t- the whole thing. <laughs> it felt like that was that's, the whole title. That's the whole film. 50 words. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Oh, thanks. Number three, highest grossing Western movie of the year, Bad Boys for Life. Fuck. Right. Oh, <laughs> a movie that I found was a Michael Bay movie without even the obnoxious flair of Michael Bay. So I found it very oh. boring. Oh, yeah. boy. I wonder who wrote that. But it was like Hans Zimmer or something in his early days. Ugh. Him and the bloke who did the Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> yeah, Klaus Bedolt or whatever it is. That's it, Klaus. <laughs> Klaus, clown man. Uh, Number two, probably John Powell as well. Who knows? Number two, uh, My People, My Homeland, a title that sounds like I made up in trying to name a Chinese movie. Yeah. Um, It's actually a Chinese comedy anthology. So, great. Okay, well, there you go. And number one, of course, The 800, Chinese historical war movie due to be released last year, but was pulled back because the Chinese censors had issues with its portrayal of the enemy army as not being villainous enough. So I'm sure that's very even-handed. I'm sure sure this is going to be great and do a lot for (laughs) the geopolitical spectrum. (laughs) I'm sure everyone's going to be better off for watching that. Um, and that's it for 2020. Wow. The one better thing is any other year. <laughs> so, Paul, how can people find out about... <laughs> no, to be fair, let's sum up. It was a shitty old year. Um, I really... It really affected... It feels churlish to say it affected my cinematic taste because it also killed a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. Complaining yeah. that I didn't get to go to the movies and don't have as many, like, really close-knit cinematic experiences is not really something to be complaining about for too long in the greater scheme of things but nevertheless some no, really extraordinary films in there that we relate to a I lot. would say so and um, what a relief because I, I wasn't sure for a for a yeah. hot minute there but uh <laughs> yeah it's very very soon that top 30 filled out with films yeah. that would especially that top 10 there'd be a contender for oh, yeah. any top 10 I think um, I look forward to when the cinemas open I hope that things like Wolfwalkers in particular Wolfwalkers Wolfwalkers um, and other things. I hope they get. And, and Nomadland. I'd love to see that again on the big screen. It's just, yeah, I hope these things get re-released so that we can experience them as the director's intended them to be experienced. Oh, here's hoping. And Warner Brothers really reluctantly doesn't want you to experience it. <laughs> <laughs> bad for laying into Warner Brothers just because you expect more, you know? It's like when Labour does something bad. 
Yeah, I guess like looking at the top grossing movies, they had to make their money somehow. I just wish that. Yeah, Jesus Christ. I just yeah, hope I they're just paying wish they people. Found a way that didn't involve releasing their big cinematic blockbusters to living rooms. Yeah. But hey, such is the economics of filmmaking. One of others are still like the good guys for the most part. I think I'll probably look into that <laughs> and find out. That's definitely not the case. But Revise that generally for speaking, they're the ones who they're the ones who put a lot of money into like fucking bonkers filmmakers. So. <sighs> Well, let's see. Get get good. Get good, one of us again. <laughs> and to you at home. Just get good. And to you at home. How can they get good by finding out about one good thing? You can you can get good goddamn onto Twitter and Facebook at OGTPod. You can send us an email at gmail at OGTPod at gmail.com. If you want to get good with us, the pools, hello, then you could <laughs> write a review on iTunes. Why not? It's been a while since we've asked. It's like, oh, hey, we asked you to do that a year ago. Did you give that, give that any thought? Did you, huh. did you ever get around to that? No, no that's that. cool. That's cool. That's fine. If you haven't got time to do it, it's fine. I was just yeah. want just checking because I just remind reminded myself of it, and I thought, well, I guess I'll just ask. Maybe but, this um, year or today, right yeah, now. Yeah. But if you've done that or you don't want to do that, I totally get it because you know, <laughs> I'm all busy. Am I right? Uh, <laughs> tell a friend. Tell a friend about the podcast, and they can share in the the love that we have spread this 2020 year. <laughs> we are on Spotify. We also have a Patreon, where for as little as a dollar a month, you get exclusive mm. content. Mm, exclusive content such as Paul's pitches, DVD challenges where we talk about DVDs that we own and yeah. sometimes love. <laughs> this week we have just released the our review on the Snyder Cut. Oh yeah, yep. This coming week we will be releasing a companion piece to this episode yeah. where we talk about a film each from our top thirties that needs a bit more light. A bit more elaboration on, it, on its beautiful face. Gotta climb in there a bit harder. Yeah, go on. Slags. <laughs> I'm Paul Slags. I'm Slag Good Slag. And remember, the one good thing about 2020 is that Wolf Walkers came out during it. <laughs> <laughs>